Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the pencils, the brushes, the sketchbooks, and the iPads to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 80, Finding Your Brand and Creative Success Through Twitch, YouTube, and Hard Work with Cassie Draws. Hi everyone, welcome back. Hope you're doing well as we head into this summer. I have a few updates and then we'll jump right into that interview. So I drew a deer in pencil. I always have to drop back to graphite at some point. <laughs> uh, every week or two I have to do a little bit more. I don't post all of what I do, but uh, this young buck I had spotted in our backyard and just started sketching him in my moleskin sketchbook with the Pentel Graph Gear 1000 again. And uh, it was good. I mean, I just was focusing on his head and trying to get the catch light right in his eyes and um, the nose, and then trying to work on a bit of that uh, transparency in the ears as well. So uh, it was good. It was, uh, it was fun to draw with pencil. Uh, as I've said time and time again, pencil is my first love, and I will continue to do uh, lots of pencil work. I'm, uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I think I'm working on a rather large commission relative to the other work I've been doing, and I'm planning on a few more things um, that I'll keep as <laughs> quiet until they emerge and uh, there's something I'm willing to share. So in my perpetual journal, I added some samsaras, which are these maple seeds, those little helicopter seeds that fall from the trees. I They were just all over our lawn this year, and I was thinking, well, <laughs> they're just asking for attention. So I took a picture of a couple, and I did a little reel about it, and put the entry into my perpetual journal. So I had them kind of sitting on top of the uh, our asphalt driveway. So there's a nice combination of uh, watercolor and white gouache and uh, just using the Pentel water brush. Nothing fancy with regard to brushes, just using that uh, that simple Pentel water brush. We're doing a lot of work with it. I think the next pieces I'm talking about, they're all done with the Pentel water brush. And so the second one, which uh, as a matter of entry in my journal is the June bug. These bugs have been out for a while now. I'm going to say a month. So they're kind of May-June bugs. <laughs> and I heard from a, a follower that they call them May bugs in uh, the UK. And so uh, I just started uh, sketching this one in my journal. And I did not think that I could figure this one out. I had to resketch. I was using ink. So I had to expand uh, its body a little bit. I got a couple things wrong. I think if I did it again, I would do it differently. And then I was worried I wouldn't get the sheen, but I'm really happy with how it turned out. It was quite a mix of of color. And um, once again, I did use some white gouache, not too much, but a little bit for the reflection you see on its uh, on its back. But um, And there was no black in that either. That's all the, the dark colors you see are all Payne's gray. Uh, just layered upon itself, and um, a little bit of dark umber, and a mix of other colors, obviously as well. But it was uh, it was good. I love drawing insects, and spotted this one at a uh, garden center. I went there to draw flowers, <laughs> and ended up seeing a June bug, of which we have many around here. But I took a picture, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, that would be a good journal entry. And sure enough, there it appears. So I've been really loving this black uh, Stonehenge paper from Legion Paper. It is a black watercolor paper, 8 by 10 is the size I have. And so I did a hyacinth macaw, which is kind of this wonderful blue uh, macaw 
and I did this on the black paper. What I did is I used white gouache as kind of a base for most of it, and then just brought in the colors on top of that with some transparency. And uh, it was it was about maybe three hours work. I offset it to the right in the uh, in the eight by ten piece. I did a reel about it, kind of showing uh, the progression. I think I probably would do the reel differently next time. But uh, having done this, I'm thinking, I wonder if I should do like a macaw or a parrot series. Maybe do four of these or something. So I am thinking about that. I really love painting on this paper because as soon as you add the color, the transition is just massive. And uh, I love the idea of leveraging a natural black background instead of painting it. And so for me, it feels less like watercolor and more like some kind of special experience. So I will link to that as well as the deer and the June bug and the Samsara seeds, <laughs> the maple seeds in the show notes if you want to take a closer look at each of those. So I wanted to share something with you that I'm doing this week. It's quite special. I've actually taken the week off with my day job, which is in health research. I've taken this week off just for me and the art. And, you know, I'm going to get some stuff done around the house and that as well. But my focus is a bit of an art retreat. And I'm the only organizer and I'm the only attendee. <laughs> but I thought I'm going to focus on the art stuff. I just, you know, I try and do a few hours each day in the evenings, um, during the week and on the weekends, trying to move this art business forward. And I feel like I really need a focus. I need to be able to create some art. I need to be able to work on the business side. I'm going to redesign my website, things like that. So I just decided I'm going to take a week and do that. And so the way I've kind of approached it, I'm looking at a theme for each day and I'm trying to focus on an experience, a story, something I'm going to do, and then I'm going to, in the afternoons, be producing art. I'm going to be producing art, I'm going to be working on the website, but I'm going to spend three or four hours a day just working on some kind of theme. And so tentatively, these are my themes. My idea for each of these kind of falls into a few specific outings that I'm going to do locally, but uh, the theme for day one, which is Monday, is Origins. So I'm looking back at where I started, I'm going to go to the playground I used to play at, and I'm going to go to the place where I launched a raft when I was, I think, maybe nine or ten that fell apart on us and we had to swim to shore. And I'm going to go to the school that I went that I went to as well and just kind of walk around there. I'm trying to bring back these childhood memories for myself and thinking about where I came from. I'm going to be looking and kind of doing almost doing a critique of my first art pieces that I did as well, looking at the details and trying to understand where I was and where I am now. So I'm just kind of reflecting on all of this. So there's no kind of homework for myself except to do these things and just go out on a couple of outings. I'm going to bring all my art supplies with me. So if I'm inspired along the way that I'm going to capture those moments, I may video some of it that I may share later. I'm not sure, but Origins the first day. Second day, uh, the theme I think is play, so I'm going to focus on kind of, uh, I'm going to do some VR stuff. I'm going to do probably a chalk drawing on my driveway. I'm going to play with some uh, new materials that I got from uh, Pentel Canada, and I'm going to uh, do a ballpoint piece, I think, on uh, on Tuesday. So on Wednesday, I think my theme will be nature, and by that I'm going to probably think about paddleboarding and bringing my uh, painting kit with me and see what I can do there. Maybe a, a, tr a walk through the woods on some of the local trails. 
do some photography, trying to interact with some animals in areas that I don't normally go. So I'm going to be traveling through the city and see what I can find. On day four, inspiration and community. So I'm going to go to the National Art Gallery on that day. I'm going to focus on social, trying to interact with people, trying to really spend some time understanding community, thinking about what I'm going to do with Discord and Patreon and all of these components of the business as well. And Friday, I'm talking about the future. I, I feel like it needs to have a better theme name, but I'm looking at the future, thinking about what's next, planning for the next pieces, uh, you know, confirming my vision board, uh, thinking about how I'm going to focus on my, my annual theme of storytelling for the rest of the year and how I'm going to move that forward. And all of this is going to hopefully kind of kickstart my, my art business a little bit. And by business, I mean the creation as well as Things like I talked about redesigning MikeHenley.com and uh, thinking about my newsletter, thinking about the podcast itself, and just being very clear in my mind about where I'm going with all of this. I'm going to be considering whether I'm doing live draws in the future and how that looks and having a regular schedule and just really trying to take this seriously and, and understanding what I what can I do from a skills perspective? What can I do from a kind of creative, positive mindset and uh, how can I help others? And, and how can I further kind of the uh, the opportunities of other kind of emerging artists and, uh, you know, looking to find their way, looking to find their voice? And so um, it's a pretty big week, I think, with respect to all of that. And I'm not sure I'm going to get through all of it, but I'm going to take notes. I'm going to think about this uh, through the week as to, you know, if I did this again, is this how I would do it? Yeah, but I really like this idea. It's almost like, you know, Bill Gates does a reading week and so do many other people. For me, it's a creative week. Um, I call it an art retreat, but it really is an opportunity for me to focus. It's it's really thinking about what's core to me, what's what's in my heart, what's running through my veins. Um, I, I really want to spend some time with this and see what I come away with. So I'm, I don't think I'm going to have anything earth shattering at the end of the week. But expect me to be posting more on Instagram. I'm going to probably be doing some more work that I'm going to share on Instagram as well. So keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime, I invite you to stick around and listen to my interview with Cassie Draws. I found my guest this week on YouTube when I was researching acrylic techniques. Her enthusiasm, skill, and engaging videos helped me as I started my acrylic painting journey. However, her expertise does not stop there. Her design sense and business acumen have led her to a successful career as an artist. We explore her beginnings with her time on Twitch, where she streamed her live drawing and then paintings. She then carried that over to YouTube, where she puts out regular videos about her pieces, providing color commentary about her approach, tools, and challenges. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Cassie Draws. Hi, Cassie. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I am so excited to have you on. I think this is going to be such a, a brilliant conversation. I've been admiring your acrylic uh, tutorial specifically on YouTube uh, because I'm venturing into that space. But I, I feel like there's so much that you could share with the listener. I am so excited as well. And I'm honored that you asked me to be here. So I'm I'm ready. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, it's great to have another Canadian. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And pretty close. Yes, it's pretty close. So it's I like to mix it up internationally. But uh, it, it's good to have you on. 
you know, I've done some reading about you. I've, I've uh, watched your tutorials. Um, I think you have really like such an interesting story. But as I always do with my guests, I try to understand where they came from. And that sometimes helps to inform us as artists, as emerging artists, about how our past connects with our present. And so for you, I'm wondering, were you always the artist? Did you grow up as being a creative? Yes, yes. Um, pretty much around 13, actually, I started doing um, some musicals. So that was kind of the introduction to being creative, I'll say that kind of realm of things. And uh, from there, I started introducing art and, you know, uh, school, high school, uh, elementary school. And I just started practicing, playing with different mediums. And so from ever since I can remember, I've always been dabbling in anything art or music. So yes. <laughs> Did you go through high school as kind of the artist? Did you feel a pull in either direction at that point? Or was it just the creativity that... I would say around high school was when it started to really pull me into art. Um, I was lucky to have um, a few great teachers that really saw and took a liking to my work and kind of just my attitude to the creativeness and really tried to take me under their wing. So yes, in high school, I was the art kid. Everyone was like, Cassie, can you draw this? You know, <laughs> can you help me with my art? And so that was when I was like, oh, like, this is really enjoyable. Just that feeling we all get, you know, where it's like, this is what I should be doing. That was when I started to notice. With your parents at the time, were they supportive of that? Was there any kind of pushback to say, uh, art is nice, but maybe you need to think about <laughs> something real? Yes, they have always been super supportive. It was the, well, what can you do with that? I think we've all kind of heard that response of, you know, well, what jobs are there out there? And should you maybe look into something more commercial like graphic design? You still get to create and do artwork, but it's more in a like product type setting, you know? So they were always super supportive, um, of course, wanting to meet me be successful. And, you know, the whole starving artist thing, they were like, oh, gosh, like, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll, you know, see where it goes. And if you still like it in a couple of years, then we'll, you know, really consider it and otherwise go for it. That's awesome. And I'm going to sound like a parent yes. now, but so what <laughs> what did you do with that? What did you do with the creativity after high school? Yeah, I ended up actually going for graphic design. So that kind of that little nugget that they planted was, oh, I think they're right. You know, of course, damn, mom and dad are right again, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I said, okay, I should probably pursue this. Um, I found a great college that offered an excellent program. And um, it was a three-year course. So I took that. It was nice. But I knew kind of in my heart that it wasn't really what I wanted. But I thought if I can get a good job, you know, kind of plant some roots down and and use this degree diploma, then maybe I can do like art on the side. But that was my plan is to kind of get something more concrete and then see what I can do after on my own. <laughs> so it was a three-year graphic design program, right? Yes, yes. And were you still doing your own art no. So that makes me sad. <laughs> but um, because I was so busy and, you know, the course load, and I think at that point, I just had no creative juices left after doing all these projects and staying up late, you know, <laughs> working with others. So I actually stopped doing art for a long time, which breaks my heart now. I wish I would have kept with it. But during that time of the three, probably four years, I just 
I kind of let it go. I wasn't actually painting at all. It was mostly all digital, more illustrator, Photoshop type stuff than anything else. What did you feel like looking back on it now, obviously regret not doing more in the spare yes, time. Yes, <laughs> big time. <laughs> what do you feel that you learned from that that you have applied now? I mean, we haven't really talked about what now looks like apart from that you're doing a lot of acrylic Correct. painting, but do yes. you feel it was helpful in informing you? Maybe, you know, part of it is that you don't really want to do that thing the rest of your life, but yep. what, what did you get out of that, do you think? Two things. Um, one, it actually did help a lot with me, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but running my own business and being a full-time artist, I learned a lot of the back end of things. So your website, you know, design of your business cards to advertisements that you, you know, put out for your shows and social media posts. So it did, I always say I didn't waste all of my money. You know, I, I learned some things where they apply now and that's comforting to me. But then also, like you said, it taught me what I didn't want. And so I ended up getting a job in the industry and I lasted two days. I don't know if that's a record, wow. but <laughs> I worked at this job for two days and I remember driving home and I had about an hour drive ahead of me. And um, my grandfather used to say stinking thinking. And uh, that was me the whole ride home of what am I doing? Like it's been two days. I already know that I hate this to be honest. And how am I going to tell mom and dad that, you know, this is not what I want to do after spending three years and a lot of money, that this is not me at all. So it was, I definitely learned that it was no go. <laughs> so what did you do then? Like after two days, that was it? Yeah, embarrassingly so, yes. <laughs> um, I, I sat at my dinner table and right away, I mean, your parents, you know, you see your child and you're like, there is something off. Like my mom and dad were like, are you okay? <laughs> are you all right? Like you're, you're looking sad. What's going on? And uh, I just, you know, had a little bit of a meltdown and was kind of coming to grips with all of this and said, Hey, like I want to be an artist. And they're like, well, you are, you are an artist. And I'm like, no, no, like the painterly type, you know, I want to go out there and share my work and my paintings and I want to see where it goes. If I fail, that's okay. But at least I, you know, tried and attempted it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the conversation so vividly. Um, and even to this day, you know, they were so good, but it was, it was definitely tough. What was your next step? Well, from there, I said, give me a year. And I said, I will prove that I can, I can make something it might not be a lot. I might not get rich by any means, but if I can, you know, build an audience and a community, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, so I actually, and I don't know if you've heard of before, but Twitch, mm -hmm. the live streaming um, platform. So at the time, it was actually good timing. They started unveiling their creative program. So they had partnered with Bob Ross, um, his company, and they were putting his old recordings live on Twitch for everyone to watch. And so that was kind of the beginning of Twitch Creative. So I said, hey, like there's a really good gap, like opportunity here that they don't have a lot of painters. There's a lot of eyeballs right now. So I said, I'm going to start with live streaming and I'm going to paint for people. And if they join, if they don't, that's okay. But it was a way for me to build an audience and get eyes on my work. I didn't realize. How long ago was that then that you started Twitch streaming? <sighs> oh my goodness. Uh, five years, five oh. years now. 
it's th- that's like yes. 30 in internet years right so <laughs> <laughs> right i i have seen i mean the platform has changed immensely since then but even you know i'm seeing it uh, i feel like i was a part of the the birth of this program because i'm like one of the uh what they say the ogs right. uh, the original people there <laughs> and um so seeing all these new streamers you know say i'm going to try my hand at creative streaming and i'm like oh, good for you guys like go for it (laughs) so it's been really cool but yes it feels like forever yeah i've done a a little bit of twitch streaming um i'm not sure oh you have so i not a lot did you like it no well it's (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) i I fair so i i think no because I mean, for me, it's no different than Instagram or YouTube. There's a little bit more setup, and we'll talk about this later, about, you know, doing a YouTube or a a Twitch stream versus doing something live on Instagram. So I feel like with all the effort in setting it up, I just didn't have large enough following. And there are so, as you say, there's so many other creatives there in that space now that it is hard to be seen. So I I think I may go back to it at some point. I I do watch some streamers. but once again, it's it's hard to, to be able to consume all this yes. content. So Oh, there's not enough time in the day. Are you still active on Twitch? I am still active right now, admittedly. Uh, YouTube and kind of some other business uh, arrangements that I have going on have taken a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm down to about one day um, a week, every two weeks. It's very sporadic now. But at the time, I was streaming like about four days, four to five days a week. So it's changed, but uh, kind of with everything else happening, again, there's not enough time. So you have to, you know, learn to schedule and prioritize and (laughs) that whole business side of things. And so when you were doing the Twitch streaming, when you first started, what materials were you working with? Uh, Yeah, so I was actually working with colored pencil. So I had started with colored pencil. I had no experience with paint at this point. So I had just been working with like dry medium mm-hmm. and that was that was pretty much it. Pencil and color pencil or pencil crayon for the Canadians. <laughs> right. <laughs> what was your preferred pencil? Uh, normally I'll work with a 2B. Okay. So in and around a 2B, um, I like to work a little bit more on the soft side. So that was my preferred. And then I kind of switched to mechanical pencil kind of probably the tail end into colored pencil. I just really like that sharp point to it. So I changed over. And with colored pencils, what were you using at the time? I was using Prismacolor. And then I had actually a viewer, a good friend of mine say, you have to try Faber-Castell. You know, that was kind of at the time, like the newest, hottest product. And so I'm like, oh, I saw the price tag, of course, (laughs) and was like, oh, my gosh. So I think at the time we actually did a little donation. Um, You can do like a community funded goal on Twitch. So I remember saying, "Okay, guys, X amount of dollars. I'll get these Faber Castells and I'll, you know, do a little review. I'll try them on live stream. And so we crowdfunded it and I ended up picking those up. And that was it. They were fantastic. They are. (laughs) <laughs> they are. <laughs> I, I I use Prismacolor Premier and then I switched to, to the Faber Castell yes. Polychromos and oh, amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, just fantastic. And, and you know, you don't maybe in the beginning for me at least you don't realize the big difference. Um, but as soon as I started using it, I was like, wow, like we're in a whole different mm. league. <laughs> and then I hear people who use Carandash uh, pencils, and it's like mm-hmm. I, I can't. I can't draw with gold because that's what it's like to try and buy some. So. <laughs> right. Yes. I, I keep seeing this on Instagram. I've seen a lot of people do reviews on YouTube mm-hmm. and I'm like, 
Oh my gosh. I see um, Lisa Lockery actually on YouTube. I think she did a video not long ago about them. And I'm like, they look fantastic. Like, okay, <laughs> I'll live vicariously through you, but <laughs> good for you. <laughs> yeah, like in Canada, I don't even know if you can easily get them. So I think that's part of the challenge with any country, yeah, right? Part of the problem. Exactly. Yes. Interesting. So uh, you're doing all this colored pencil work. So if we look back in the past five years when you were doing this like four or five times a week, how long were your sessions? Yes. Usually on average, I would say about three to four hours. Wow. And uh, that was all I could manage. It's exhausting. <laughs> Anyone who's streamed will know managing chat, everything that's going on, all of your alerts, and then trying to focus on drawing was just like brain drain for me. So that was it. <laughs> there must be common questions people come in with, right? Like what pencil is that? What yes. paper are you using? Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. I think my most used command at the, at the time and probably even now was exclamation mark supplies <laughs> because so many people would, hey, what's that pencil? Hey, is that, a, you know, I get, hey, is that acrylic? You know, always, is that oil? It's no, it's acrylic or yes, it's this. So yes, a lot of questions about your supplies. And also I really would love questions about how to stream because a lot of times getting live feedback from someone rather than, you know, skimming through a YouTube video, let's say, was more effective for them. So I, I was always so happy to answer those questions and kind of encourage people to, you know, hop on board and give it a go. And so as you're doing this, you're building a community. Was was that yes. the core of your community was a Twitch community or were you doing things in Instagram or elsewhere at the time? I have really, up until now, I would say in the last year or so, solely relied on Twitch. Um, and that was even selling my work as well. So commissions, selling my work, um, you know, kind of advertising that way. And I'm very lucky that we built such an amazing, I call them my family, the amazing family of people who are art enthusiasts or artists themselves. And um, so even to this day, the vast majority of, I would say, the leads of my commissions or online sales actually stem from that community still. So I think it was, it was fantastic. And that's why I'm always encouraging people to try it because it was a whole side of, let's say, even if you look at it just as marketing that I didn't realize would be that effective. Do you think it's still advantageous for people to consider Twitch if they plan on doing any kind of live streaming of their, of their art? I would say so. Yes. Yes. Well, I know we'll probably talk about income streams yes. later um, at some point, um, but it's huge. I mean, I'm always super honest. It was probably 90% of my income when I first started was from these generous people watching streams that, you know, they, they click for the art, but they stay for you. And so that was something that I learned was I became a brand myself, not just what I was creating. And they want to support that. So yes, if you're listening and you've been teetering on live streaming, please go check it out. That's awesome. <laughs> Anything that Cassie and I speak about as a matter of links, you know, linking to her Twitch and anything else we talk about, the the pencils and, and all of this, I will include yes. in the show notes like <laughs> I always do. You talked about you became a brand. Did did that just, did, did you wake up one day and realize, wait a second here, I'm a brand versus I'm just doing a thing a few times a week? Yes, yes, it was... And I don't even remember when it happened. I've asked my community, you know, when did this start? Like I was just a kid on the computer, right? And had no real direction. And all of a sudden I woke up and I'm like, no, I'm Cassie Draws. You know, this is me, my art, my brand. 
and I still don't know, but it was somewhere in that time where I would join other live streams and, and someone would say, oh, you're Cassie Draws. I watched your stream yesterday. Hmm. And I'm like, whoa, like it was this weird sort of surreal kind of like, oh, cool. Like you slowly start to see your reach and, you know, hopefully your help or your fun content, you know, people kind of resonate with and enjoy. Did you feel that you were an artist, quotes, before you started Twitch or did did you feel that Twitch validated that? Or did you feel that, you know, after having done some Twitch that you then became an artist? At what point would you call yourself an artist? Yes, I would say after probably in the middle of my Twitch journey was when I started saying like, okay, like I'm, I'm doing the thing, you know, <laughs> I'm doing it, I'm here. <laughs> and uh, it really wasn't until uh, my sponsorship with Chart Pack and Grumbacker where I started to say, okay, I'm, I'm having this validation from this company who wants to work with me. And that actually stemmed from getting ahead, but actually stemmed from someone in my Twitch community emailing them on my behalf. And I had no idea. Hmm. So they actually clipped one of my moments of me expressing, oh, I'd love to work with Grumbacker. Like, they're the holy grail of paints for me, you know, et cetera. And they actually emailed on my behalf saying, hey, like, there's this girl who's, you know, really pumping your product for free. <laughs> and she loves you guys. Here's a clip. And that's how they reached out. So it wasn't until about halfway through that I said, like, okay, I'm, I feel like that artist now of my work is moving, people are interested. And because for a while it was it was very barren, no commissions, no sales. We've all been there where you work, you know, your tail off to get all your products on your website and nothing moves. We've all been mm -hmm. there. <laughs> so it wasn't until then that I was like, okay, like I can see the progress now. That's awesome. Congrats on that. That's, uh, Thank that's a you. big step. Thank you. <laughs> yes, huge, huge. <laughs> I know that uh, when Pentel Canada reached out, Yes, I was going to ask you. Yes, that was that was like a big kind of like what? Because uh, I yes, I don't know. I've had people ask me, "How did you get that?" And it's like I didn't really do anything, so I don't have anything educational to provide here. Yeah, right, right. And sometimes, like I, I'm assuming via social media, yeah, absolutely, yep. right. They had seen your work, Instagram. You know, that's all it takes mm -hmm. is just to put your work out there. That's always my biggest thing is just put your work out there. And I mean, they reached out and said, hey, like, Mike, we want to work with you. That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's people ask me, some people ask me, like, why do you take the photos you do with the tools and and not just focus on the work? And it's like, you know, yes. now if I'm using a Pentel water brush or a Graph Gear 1000 or whatever the case, they're relying on me and I'm relying on their products. So that I feel like, you know, they don't pay me, but there's a relationship right. around that. And it's the same reason, like I just did a... A hyacinth macaw, and I did use a Pentel product, but I used uh, an art toolkit palette. I used paper from Legion Paper, and they make great stuff. So why would I not share about you know share yeah. that with others and tag them in it? And who knows what happens in the future, right? Absolutely. All it takes is one post, mm -hmm. one video, one reel. You know, now Instagram loves those reels. Yes. So all it takes is one. And I mean, congratulations. That is exceptional. And it, I think. For me, it, it shows everyone that, like I said, it takes one thing. Just mm -hmm. don't be afraid. Like, get rid of that fear and just put yourself out there. I know it's hard, but I mean, look at you now, right? You never would have maybe imagined that that would have been possible. Yeah, especially at 54 when they told me about it. Like, 
Fantastic. So it can happen at any age, right? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we all have our moment. We just have to wait for it, you know, be patient. <laughs> yes, exactly. With your Twitch, you were doing colored pencil, and then at some yes. point you transitioned to paint. So yes. why and how did that happen? Yes. So actually, without taking all the podcast time, I actually got sick <laughs> and um, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So it's horrible and anyone who has any experience with it it's it's awful but basically it affects a lot of the muscles like widespread body pain Mm -hmm. and when I was using colored pencils I actually thought I had like early onset carpal tunnel and I thought to myself I'm like I have not been doing art nearly that long and I try not to have the grip of death like I call it um, around a pencil so I'm like I don't know if this is possible you know I had doctor's appointments on doctor's appointments and they basically had said here's kind of what we're thinking that you might have this and it's affecting your hands so my palm of my hand and just all kinds of motor stuff and uh, so I had to find an alternative so up until then I had never painted I had never used any more different mediums. And I said, well, if I want to continue to do art, I have to change and I have to adapt. And I then said, let's try acrylic. I did a lot of research of, okay, watercolor versus acrylic versus oils, which is going to be the best. And uh, I kind of threw a dart and landed on acrylic. And that's how it started. So were you watching acrylic artists on Twitch (laughs) as you were... (laughs) Yes, Twitch, I would try to find all the traditional artists, and then I would also look up YouTube. My YouTube search history was how to acrylic, how to pour your paint, (laughs) how to use a palette, like every aspect of painting you can imagine. I was Googling it. (laughs) What was your first piece, and how big was it? Yes, um, I actually have one of them on my wall. I kept it kind of as a homage to my beginnings, but it was actually a lion. So it was a black and white lion. Um, Now I bit off a little more than I could (laughs) chew, and this canvas is massive. Uh, Probably not my smartest idea, but that was my first piece. And um, I I kept it. I didn't sell it. I said, I got to have this in my studio, in my space. What was the, if you can think back to that first, the first few times you worked with acrylic, what was the biggest challenge for you in going from colored pencil to acrylic? And I'm thinking, you know, lights versus darks, a process. Um, What was the, you know, two or three things that, because I'm in the point of, I've done a little bit of acrylic. It's off here to the side. You can't see it. I'm not sure I'll show it to you. But (laughs) um, (laughs) what were the first few things that it was like, ah, that would help someone else? Yes. Dry time. That is the thing that I get asked a lot on my YouTube videos, live streams, and even me back then was the dry time with acrylic, trying to work fast, make this color enough so that it covers the area that you're looking for, and then apply it. And then by then it's dry. (laughs) So it's kind of learning. Whereas with color pencils, I mean, I could set it down, go have a cup of coffee and come back and it was still (laughs) there. Um, whereas now it's totally different. So dry time for sure was a huge frustration for me. And then just learning color mixing. The color pencils were already made for me. So I could just pick one that I wanted and go crazy. Whereas with acrylic, I'm like, I remember I bought a little base set. And so I was looking at this gorgeous, you know, Kingfisher, let's say, and I'm like, I have to make this teal. How do I do that? (laughs) So color mixing was a huge thing too. So 
I would say it's, it's probably like a universal frustration with acrylic, but yes, it was, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> so you've got your brushes and we'll talk more specifically about what you're using now, but you've got your brushes and you've got your paints yeah. and that kind of stuff. What was the tool or the technique that you changed? It could be a tool. It could be like, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but maybe like a stay wet palette or something. What were, what were two or three things that you did that really changed your acrylic game that really upped it for yourself? Yes, that's a really good question. I would probably say having more like, just, I want to say tools in general, but just more like brushes available. I, at the time only had like one or two that I was using. I had no idea like the shapes and, you know, things that were available and like the stay wet palette um, I had used for a while back when I first started to kind of help with that and adding in, let's say like a a gel, like a medium or a mixing white. Even I I actually used mixing white. I didn't know what these mediums were until (laughs) I was a little bit more entrenched. Um, but I would add mixing white to bulk it up and that it would kind of make (laughs) it sound so bad now, but I like a clump of paint (laughs) on my palette. And I was like, this doesn't dry as fast. This is great. And meanwhile, the colors are all wrong. Like they're, (laughs) they're horrible. They're very washed out, but it made more of the color for me so that I could kind of work a little bit more slow <laughs> interesting do you use a stay wet palette like is at some point that you transition early into that and are you still using it I don't use it anymore actually so um, I had stopped using that I just found for me I I just wasn't a, a big fan I think that's the only way I can describe it is I tried it wasn't a big fan I preferred the peel palettes um, so the um, Freddie Weber peel palette okay. um, and that just once it dries easy cleanup. You get a little corner and slide, you know, like a a palette knife or anything really. And it just peels the whole section right off and it's totally clean. Game changer. So that was kind of what I had found and went that route instead. Are you then using, you know, as you say, acrylic dries really quickly, so you don't have a stay wet palette. So maybe for, for those listening who haven't used a stay wet palette maybe can you explain what that is yes so the stay wet palette that i used um had like uh, wells so it have little kind of areas um to put either your tube paint just from the tube or if you wanted to mix a color um you could do that as well and usually they have mine had like a sponge in it with some water so you would just moisten the sponge up leave it in the stay wet palette and then close the lid and so with it being airtight and some form of moisture in there it basically doesn't dry so if you're working on a big piece and you've made this color and it's a very specific color that you need it throughout your painting you know, you can essentially pre-mix this and it stays. Now, obviously, I would say over time, I never left it for weeks on end, but over time, I'm going to assume that eventually as that sponge dries out, you know, you might get a clump of dry acrylic in there. But if you're talking the next day or even two, three days, then, you know, it would be totally fine. So then you're moving to this this new palette that doesn't have that capability. So how are you managing yes. the fact that acrylic is drying so quickly? Well, uh, sometimes it's still very frustrating, <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned now how to, I work very quickly. So I am, I'm, I essentially remix the same color over and over again. Okay. And I know it sounds very tedious and very annoying, <laughs> but um, I basically have just gotten into the habit of, I will mix just enough for the area that I'm working in. 
And then if I need that color again, I'll kind of almost like a little memory bank in my mind of, okay, like 20% Mars black, 10%, you know, titanium white, and I'll mix it all up and I'll just kind of remix it over. (laughs) Nice. Yes. (laughs) So so do you ever use any um, glazing liquid or any other kind of... um, additional material with the paint to try and extend its its uh, drying time? I don't. Not anymore. Yes. So just even sometimes a little bit of water um, will go a long way. So there's this kind of myth and misconception about water in acrylic. I think there was someone who did a video a long time ago and it was shared around and everyone was like, you can't use water with acrylic. And it, it wasn't until probably a year or so ago that I realized that's not true. <laughs> So I'm like this whole time I've been painting with very thick paint. I had no idea what glazing was, you know, glazing colors over top, nothing until I came across a glazing YouTube video. And uh, so now I just add a little bit of water to this pile and kind of mush it all together in a clump on my palette. And, you know, the thinner it is, the faster it dries. So if you have a mound, it kind of stays together a little bit easier and I'll just add a little water and put on my canvas and away we go. So when you're mixing colors, are you doing it with a palette knife or using a brush? I use a brush. Yes. So some artists will use a palette knife. I've seen some actually use the end of the paintbrush. So the butt end mm-hmm. of it um, instead of using the brush tip. So I, I like just the brush. Sometimes I'll have like an old throwaway brush on the side where that'll be my mixing, you know, brush. So I'm not using the good ones. <laughs> right. Um, but <laughs> the, the uh, really nice you know, fine tip ones. I kind of keep those for just exclusively painting, but yes. So are you doing acrylic exclusively now? Have you ventured back into colored pencil or drawing or anything like that? Right now, just acrylic. Um, Physically, that's all really I can manage. Um, Otherwise, my hands get really kind of achy, uncomfortable, and that can last, honestly, months. Fibro flare-ups are brutal. So for me, acrylic and I'm so thankful for this, is the only medium that doesn't irritate me. So I can paint for three, four hours and be able to paint the next day if I wanted. So I've I've learned my lesson. I try to venture out sometimes when I'm feeling brave. And uh, I realized shortly my body's like, no way, girl, you know, <laughs> <laughs> stick to your acrylic. I'm like, okay. So yeah, sometimes watercolor though. If I'm feeling good, watercolor sometimes, but mostly acrylic. So someone who's got a lot of experience in acrylic and has done some watercolor, how would you compare the two? Oh my goodness. There, there's a lot of similarities. Um, for me, just being a wet medium in general, you have to learn to control both. But watercolor, just the, I say randomness of it and the lack of control you have was very difficult for me. Um, I'm like, I just can't the hang of this. This is weird, you know? (laughs) And I think the change in my style, anyone who's seen my art will know my acrylic is very saturated and usually colorful and, you know, packed full. And whereas watercolor, you're working very translucent and building those layers that I just felt off. (laughs) I'm like, this doesn't look like me, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. This doesn't look like my work. So maybe that's why I haven't is finding my style in that medium. I just haven't cracked that code yet. Yeah, it took me a bunch of tries at watercolor before I finally get to a point where it's like, all right, I can create something that I feel isn't some transparent representative of what I'd want it to be. Um, And I think, 
And I think people do some beautiful soft work. I had Anna Bucciarelli on who does a lot of the coins for the Canadian Mint and she does just beautiful, beautiful work. I can't do that stuff. So I I do think to your point about going out to YouTube, it, it is, you know, if you really like painting with watercolor or acrylic and you want to be good at it, it's going out and finding other people that are doing it because you bind yourself to one artist and you can't do it like them. And it's like, and that's what I was doing with watercolor was like, I can't do this anymore. Take it away. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. There's a, a lady actually on Instagram now. I I forget her um, username. It's in Russian, so I would not be able to pronounce it anyways. But she does fantastic lamp posts. So she'll go around to all these beautiful ornate like lamp posts and hanging lights and things that are very like raw iron. And she will do these incredible watercolor with almost like a, a fine liner ink or even some pencil crayon on top. And I'm like, that's that was my first like what like you're saying, how the first person I saw that I wanted to, to do the same work. And now I'm like, OK, yeah, right. But, you know, yes, I agree completely. Just a multi like a catalog of artists, I think, would be helpful rather than just one sticking to one style. Yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> So you say you're not really working with colored pencil, you're just working with acrylic, but are you sketching at all with pencil? Are you doing any work uh, digitally on an iPad or a Wacom? Yes, yes. So I actually bought Procreate um, and an iPad. So I use my iPad for a lot of my business stuff. And um, actually, people on my Twitch stream were like, you should really get Procreate and the pencil and like try it. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, like, let's see, maybe that's easier. Like the grip pressure would be a little bit softer for me. And so I've been trying to dabble in a little bit of Procreate sketching, but that's for the like Cassie Draws archives. I don't really share a lot. (laughs) Um, I still, it's something between digital and traditional. I just can't really get the hang of but um it's been a lot of fun and it's nice to take a break from using acrylic all the time and have something else to kind of break free from yeah and it's uh, what as you say earlier it's one of those things with a digital uh with an ipad or a wacom that you can draw and you can leave it (laughs) and it doesn't dry out on you (laughs) doesn't move nothing (laughs) have you as well have you done any like digital i've done a fair bit of procreate work and Um, I've done actually a done a, a couple, maybe two or three live draws on Instagram with Procreate, which was fun. Awesome. So I, I do more of that off camera. So I, I am doing some Procreate work, but I'm not really sharing a whole lot of it because I'm kind of working on something else in in that space. But Fair. I do, I do like it. I think, uh, and we'll probably get to this later. But having that capability of creating in that space, I think it it feeds. It feeds the other yes. stuff and back and forth. So I think working with an analog and digital is helpful. Oh, absolutely. And the portability for me was being able to take this anywhere, you know, on a bus or on a vacation, you know. So having that availability too, rather than dragging all of your, you know, paints and stuff is awesome. So I wanted to kind of get deep into the acrylic uh, part of it now that we've kind of brought everyone up to sure. speed to where you're at yes. now and what your focus is. <laughs> So when you're doing a new piece in acrylics, are you working with, like, is there a selection of a canvas that you use? Is there, or a um, not even a canvas, but do you prefer a, a board or a canvas? Do you prime it with white or black gesso? Like, maybe if you can talk us through that process a little bit, and then we can look at how you start 
kind of working through and building the image? Sure. Yeah. So I use um, just the standard like artist loft canvas from Michael's. So that's kind of my go-to. It's nearby. And if you get a coupon, you get an extra discount. <laughs> so that's always nice. <laughs> so I'm working with the artist loft canvas, um, but I have actually been trying to find a good panel um, to work on for framing purpose. So a lot of people who will buy a commission might not want to go and get a huge custom frame for their painting. So the panel being much thinner, I thought, hey, like this would be a good opportunity for them um, to frame it uh, just kind of off the shelf, you know, framing options. So um, yeah, just the standard canvas. And um, I usually don't prime it. Uh, I get ones that are pretty smooth to begin with, and then I'll just sketch over top of that. That's cool. And I notice on, I don't know if you do this for every piece, but I noticed a few of them, you're using a grid to yes. pull that image in. So before we get yes. to talking about that, are you doing any composition work in Photoshop in kind of preparing what you're going to bring in? And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So what I'll do is I will use wildlife references for artists. Um, so that's where I get all of my reference images from. Is that a website? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. So you can actually go on and buy either a subscription or you can buy the photograph that you're looking for on its own. And um, that way you don't have to worry about any of the copyrights. So all of the photographers who are using this website have already signed off and said, you can use my photo. As long as you don't, you know, send it somewhere else and reproduce the picture, you can do whatever you want with it. Right. So I'll take that, um, whatever I'm wanting to paint. And then from there, I'll put it into Photoshop. And I just really will work on cropping it. So am I looking for a really, really close up of this, let's say tiger face, or do I want something a little bit more further out? And um, I'll kind of play around with like a square or rectangle. I've started painting on circles. So I'll kind of try to get an idea of what I'm looking for, but I try to not do too, too much and just kind of go for it. Cool. And so you're, you're compositing this in, in Photoshop and then you're building a grid in Photoshop yes. and then you draw that grid on the canvas piece that you're working on, correct? Yeah, basically, yes. Okay. So I'll size the image size to cor like, per correct proportions, mm -hmm. and then I'll draw the grid on the canvas. It's usually double. I try to keep the math simple. Right. <laughs> so I'll usually just double it and then sketch it on the, the grid and then go ahead and start painting. That's cool. And so when you're can I ask you a silly question? When you're drawing out this image and creating the outline, are you doing that with paint? Or are you doing that with charcoal? Or what are you using to do that? Just standard graphite. Okay. Yep. So I just have some little cheapy pencils and I just kind of do my thing and, and then go from there. And I don't erase anything either. Some artists will erase the grid, you know, afterwards. Mm -hmm. So they just have the subject. I'm, dare I say, lazy and I just leave it all and just cover it. Nice. <laughs> when you're working on your pieces... Is there a point when you are thinking, okay, I'm going to focus on this lion or this dog, and now I want to get the background done? So at what point do you decide, because I was watching, um, I don't remember what you were doing. I think it was, oh, it was a, it was a dog uh, portrait you were doing on YouTube. And partway through it, you decided, I'm going to put the background in. Is that yes. typically how you do it? And what determines for you that it's time for the background right so that process I'm glad you brought that up has kind of changed I finally learned my lesson that I was doing the background too late so in the beginning when I started I would paint the whole subject and I would get all the intricate fur details and then go oh well now I have to cut this subject out 
of, of the background. Now I have to put the background in and I'm covering over all of my hard work. And so it wasn't until I said, okay, maybe before we work on the fur and kind of blocking that in, put in the background. So normally I'll do like an outline, I'll get the eyes done. And then from there, I'll block in the background first and then start working on the subject. That's cool. Yes. It took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> so that makes sense then on your on the, the last piece I saw, which was you doing a, a dog portrait. That is exactly what you did. You blocked in the colors. Um, and is, is, there a, is there a sense to that? Are you thinking light to dark? Are you thinking um, bottom to top? Uh, how are you looking? That's what really, I think, brings up your game as an artist is being able to see like an artist, to observe like an artist, and right. then transition yeah. uh, that to what you're creating. So how do you see it? How do you address it when you're creating a new piece? Yes. Yeah, so what I'll do is, I, I say this a lot, but I pretty much just dissect my reference. So I will look at, you know, where are the shadows? Where are my kind of middle tone values? And then finally the highlights. And I usually will work from dark to light um, and from top to bottom and left to right. So I always seem to start kind of on the left-hand side. I'm not sure why, but I found this helpful so that I'm not crossing over wet paint as well. So because I'm right-handed, I'm kind of completing all the furthest stuff away and then working my way across. But I tend to just kind of really see those shadows of, you know, the the dip in the forehead or the cheekbones on a like a snow leopard and I'll put in all those really dark areas first and then layer from there. To my latest. So you say you're right-handed, but I don't think you're telling the truth there because I've seen you using your left hand recently. So <laughs> can you talk to that a little yes. bit? Sure. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So with um, some of my paintings, depending, <laughs> I'm laughing. You caught me. <laughs> no one has said that actually in any of my comments, nothing. <laughs> so with my paintings, I will for larger areas of the background, or if it's a bigger canvas, I'll use my left hand for the blocking in to save my hand and my wrist for the good small stuff on the right, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So my left hand gets to do all the boring stuff of the under layers that we don't really see or care about just to get a good idea, um, blocking in any big blocks of color, just because that motion of painting with my right hand with a bigger brush can make it ache or I get pains and just be uncomfortable. So I said, it's good to learn how to you know, hold your brush with your left hand or even trying to write with your left hand or your opposite non-dominant hand is like a whole new world. So I figured I'd start training it now in case anything happens to my right hand, I kind of have something to fall back on. I'm going to ask you a question, then we'll get back to that. But I'm just wondering how, how important has been painting, drawing, art in managing this pain that you have? Explain that relationship. And even though this could cause you pain, you still continue to do it. How important has yes. art been for that? I honestly... I don't know where I would be. I try not to get all emotional about it, but I don't know where I would be without art um, mentally, physically, just when you kind of hear that, you know, the way you do things in everyday life can no longer be, you know, certain things like opening jars, like something so silly that I'm like, hey, can you open this? You know, I just can't do those things. Um, having art, even though it is sometimes painful or uncomfortable for my hands or sitting too long. And, you know, it's been instrumental in keeping me happy. And with a purpose, I feel productive. I don't know if I'd be able to work a nine to five job 
in a graphic design studio, let's say in an office setting where maybe ergonomically it's not set up for me or, you know, like we were talking earlier, I have a sit stand desk before we started today. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Hey, if you see me like sitting for 10 minutes and standing for 30, you know, that's why is I just can't physically do it. So, um, it's been, I get to work from home. I'm in my own comfort zone and I can take all the time I need to kind of adjust, you know, certain aspects. So it's been, I don't, I don't know where else I would be. It's been amazing for me and keeps me happy and feeling good. Well, as an artist and an admirer of your work, I'm so glad that you're doing this and, and sharing it with us. Um, I'll probably say this again, but I, I know things can <laughs> be hard. And so I do appreciate yes. um, that you are getting more from this than we see. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, thank you. And I'm just, I, like I said, I can't imagine uh, I don't know who I would be if I wasn't an artist. And I'm just so glad that I was, you know, I've given this opportunity and it's worth the late nights and the, oh, I did too much days, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> I overdid it again. <laughs> and so when you're working on a piece, I mean, most of your inspiration, if not all are animals and having done many animals, insects myself, yes, I want to talk about the eyes because I mean, you render them so wonderfully. And I know that some artists go straight for the eyes and some of them don't. And I'm wondering for you, how important is it to get the eyes done? Because I was looking at, once again, this this one piece where you were doing the dog and you, you know, obviously got the fur around and you came to the eyes and then you went away from the eyes and you came back to the eyes. Yes. Uh, can you talk about that? Sure. Yes. Normally I would say 95% of my paintings and videos and I jump right into getting those eyes done. And for me, it's like a waypoint for me that I know where the rest of the information needs to go based on their location. So if I, you know, I'm working on this left side eye, I'm like, okay, now I know where that eyebrow sits and, you know, marking under the eye or whatever it may be. And it sets the pace. If, if I, if I'm going to love a piece, the eyes, I'm like, yes, like I nailed the eyes. This piece is going to be killer. Mm -hmm. If they don't turn out, I'm like, let's move on. <laughs> let's pick another piece, another painting. Uh, it's like, oh. No, like that did not turn out the way that I wanted. And so it really kind of gets my passion for a project going. And I think it's the most, I mean, that's how we connect. Like humans, we look at our eyes and even animals, like eye contact is huge. And so if someone purchased a pet portrait for me, the eyes are something that they remember from their fur family, especially if they're no longer with us. You know, those eyes are like, oh, yes, that's my dog, Frankie, or, you know, like, yes, that's them. And so, yeah, right away, there are times where I'll bounce back and forth. I, maybe I'm not feeling that piece, but I recorded it anyway. <laughs> and so, yeah, sometimes, but most times I'm like, let's let's do it. Do you ever get lost in the eyes where, especially if maybe it's not a dog, it could be a dog, but maybe it's a lion or something, and you can see the trees in the sky in the catchlight and the reflection, like I, I find myself being pulled into that so much. It's like, oh, I wish I could see the, uh, the, the behind part of the right. camera. Yes, yes. It's like its own painting mm -hmm. or art piece, really, especially get those really zoomed in photos. Like I have done that with pets before where you can actually see the person with the phone, you know, taking the picture. So for me, it tells its own story. And I think that's really beautiful what you said, like what's behind 
you know, who is taking the picture, I can just picture the sky and like the trees and it's just so beautiful. Yes. <laughs> have you ever, this just occurred to me, have you ever thought of changing the reflection? Has that been a thought ever with any animal to change the reflection because it was more important that the reflection be something else? Where the, as you say, the reflection becomes more important than the eye. Right. I have not had a project where I've done that, um, but now you've inspired me <laughs> where I'm like, that's a really good point. That's a great point. Even like pet portraits are, I keep, I keep going back to this, but it's such a good uh, example for my business is that's a lot of my commissions. So even adding in the person to that catch light, to have them in the painting would be a really cool that's so smart, Mike. That's a good point. <laughs> or even like a silhouette of the family or something. You'd have to, you know, duplicate yes. it in both eyes. But yeah. Like a family dog or a cat yeah, yeah, even, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yes. Noted. Noted. <laughs> We'd work for both of us now. <laughs> right? Our next Instagram post, we're both going to have these little right. <laughs> silhouettes in the catch light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. That's awesome. Yes. Is there a favorite animal you like? And I know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask mm -hmm. it. Yep. <laughs> I will say in general, big cats mm -hmm. is, is my general answer. If I'm asking specifics, I would say lions are my go-to, does not fail me every time, makes an awesome painting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because you've got a lion painting behind you, and I think you've got a lion on your shirt. I do. Yes. Actually, I wore this purposely. I'm glad you asked because Lion King was the first thing that got me actually drawing and, and doodling. So I watched Lion King movie. I said, lions are my jam. And from there, it was like, that's it. This is actually a Robert Bateman. And uh, so my uh, my idol. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've not. Uh, I don't think I've seen that one by Robert. So that's, uh, that's yes. beautiful. Yeah, he does amazing, uh, uh, his whitewashing amazing. and yeah. I can't. <laughs> He's just so like, I have multiple books and I mean, that was like, I want to be Robert Bateman. I think all wildlife painters and illustrators, artists were like Robert Bateman. So my husband actually bought that for me and I was a huge surprise. I'd always said, I love an original but hey, we'll take a, a print. <laughs> so yes, it's my inspiration. Yeah, he was uh, he was on the podcast and he was a fantastic guest. Yes. He was working the whole time as as I was interviewing him. It was uh, yeah, really yeah, that's amazing. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I think it was a large piece. I think I don't know if it was like eight or eleven feet. Like it was massive. This piece. That oh my he was working gosh! On. Yeah. I can't say. He didn't tell me who it's for, but he told me where it's going. And I think I know who it's, who it's for. Okay. And um, cool. anyways, it was, uh, yeah, he's an amazing Phenomenal. artist. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Bateman, if you're listening, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah. You love the big cats. Uh, and I'm, yes. you know, I'm looking at your last post as of the recording here. And you have this wonderful cat, uh, domestic cat that you've done with its eyes, which just blows me away. Uh, and you. you did this watercolor of these lions. Yes. And I just, I'm looking at that having done watercolor recently, and I just love the way you did it, you've done it. And you've got those wonderful lines, almost like a, like a, like a hatching that you do, like a cross hatch yes. in there. Yes. Thank you. How'd you do that? Like, <laughs> what made you think about doing that? Yes. <laughs> well, it was kind of an accident. Um, so in one of my first pieces, I actually ended up dropping a colored pencil on my watercolor. 
So I had thought about adding some elements of, again, trying to get that colored pencil back into my life. I was trying to find a way of incorporating it into it. And the, again, we talked and touched on this earlier, watercolor wasn't saturated enough for me. So I thought, okay, if I can combine both and give myself a base with the watercolor with some colored pencil on top, Maybe that's like the perfect combo. And I was actually going to go draw and I dropped the colored pencil onto my watercolor and it like skidded across. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. And then I looked down and I'm like, this looks pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was one of those happy accidents where I'm like, hold on a second, you know, get some more kind of action lines and hatching. And hatching is my favorite, um, I guess, technique, if you will, and cross hatching. So um, it worked out and I started adding that into all of my watercolors. That's brilliant. Are you still using the Faber-Castell then with that? I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I brought out my old tin, dusted it <laughs> off. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's really cool. And I always say I recommend Try adding in even just some elements. It doesn't have to be the whole piece, but something maybe in your watercolor that you want to pop a little bit more. Okay, so I wanted to maybe chat with you a little bit about the brushes because I think having done work with watercolor and then moving into acrylics, uh, you know, you're always dealing with, is it sable? Is it not? Is it synthetic? Um, you, I saw that you're using a, a new brush recently uh, called a blender. Um, so I wonder if you can speak to, yes. you know, if you had to get two or three brushes and you want to explore acrylic, what would they be? And what brush do you use the most? Sure. Yes. Um, that was the hardest part to figure out was what brushes work and, you know, your style. So if I had to build like a brush toolkit, I would say my go-to would probably be my filberts. I use filberts the most in all of my paintings. You can get some really cool shapes, um, different sort of brush strokes too, that especially for wildlife, whether it's feathers or fur, um, they're really fantastic. So filberts is up there. Um, and I would say a classic round. Um, I use really small round brushes. So like triple zeros, single zero, that's for like my fine details. So I catch lights, tiny little hairs and things. So the rounds and I would say blender is new I'm glad you brought that up I had never used one before but I'm now using it for a lot of my glazing um over top so dark areas of fur kind of softening things a mm -hmm. little I get a lot of people asking about well acrylic has such harsh lines sometimes so how do I you know really kind of soften those edges so blenders are wonderful and I would probably say my last recommendation would be a liner brush, especially if you're wanting to get into wildlife and, you know, pet portraits or even landscapes. So tree limbs, you know, tree limbs, whiskers, um, eyelashes, things like that. The liner brush really allows you to get that nice, you know, smooth, thin line. But I say less is more. Those are the only ones I really use in my paintings. And there's a lot out there, but cost and just kind of utilizing them all. I just I've kind of gravitated to those and stuck with them. Just on that point as well, are you doing all of this in studio? Do you ever go out and do any plein air or urban sketching or anything outside? Uh, just inside. I'm admittedly a bit of a hermit. Cool. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my studio. The window's open and hopefully that counts, yes. but uh, it's just me and my studio. <laughs> and have you thought about or tried oil painting? I have... Yeah, good question. I get asked this a lot. Like, when are you like trying oils? Um, I have not considered it and I have never done them before. So I've 
kind of stuck with acrylic. We never touched on it in school. And um, for me, just we have some sensitivities in my home, too, with smells and things. So I was like, acrylic's kind of like the safe bet. Mom's not having headaches or, you know, migraines. I know oils have come a long way. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like my studio space, ventilation and, you know, that stuff, I'm like, I'll stick with acrylic. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I've got so many oil artists I know that are like, oh. I don't know how you can be so crazy to use watercolor. You need to come to our side and, and use oil. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it, trust me, it's gorgeous, yeah. like stunning. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I've never really had the desire. I think I've just been happy. And I mean, maybe the same with you with mm -hmm. your watercolor. Like you're, you're learning it, you know it, and it's your comfort zone and alone the cost too, yeah. right? For the setup and the paints themselves and all that good stuff where you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking maybe, you know, maybe like five or six tubes of oil and get a little pochade box or something yeah. and just just do it outside. But I worry that yes. I will yes. love it. And then I'm going to be stuck with either having to rent a studio or getting a place that has 11 foot ceilings and good ventilation. <laughs> like it's... Yes, yes. And we you know, we know our Canadian winters, yes. right? So you only get three months of nice weather <laughs> and then it's rain and snow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you'd be like, get, you know, oil for three months. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry this painting is twenty thousand dollars, but I'm Canadian, okay? If you can yes. just Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <Don't mind. laughs> or yeah, actually can you commission me in June <laughs> right. so that I can, you know, paint this exactly. for you? <laughs> so I wanted to you know, I have so many artists on uh, that are successful like you and we, we focus a lot on the skills and the brushes and the techniques. But I think a big part of this too is is just being good at business. And so yes. I wanted to talk about that because it's often forgotten. I had an artist on recently where, you know, the suggestion was out of like a normal seven and a half hour days, a large percentage of that is actually not drawing or painting. It's doing yes. the stuff. <laughs> yes. And so how has that been for you? And maybe weaving into that some advice for other artists who are considering monetizing their hobby as they see it now and turning that into a business. Yes, it is huge. I, I didn't realize when I first kind of started this journey of how important business would be. I have no formal training. I didn't go to school. So it's really just you're kind of learning as you go. And a perfect example would be this week. I have not painted at all. So I've had a lot of business meetings. Um, we have some new partnerships coming up, which I'm thankful for. Um, but it's been a lot of Zoom Zoom calls, uh, emailing, admin, admin stuff. Um, and so I'm like looking at my paintings sitting on the shelf, like, come paint me, like, what, <laughs> you know, missing me. And I'm just like, I, I can't. So yeah, it's, it's definitely so important. And the social media side, I'm sure we'll talk about that and learning to market yourself. And so a lot of times you're emailing, you're up late. Um, there's times where my husband will look over and he's like, it's one o'clock. Like you need to put your laptop away. You need to get some rest. <laughs> and it's learning to kind of balance all of that. But yeah, huge. Do you think you found a balance at this point? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, it's gotten better. I joke, but yeah. it's gotten better. Um, but yeah, it, it's learning to also carve out your own time too. running your business from home. You can work 24 seven, you know, where you finally have to go. Okay, no, I can watch this movie. I can, you know, eat dinner, not in front of the computer, sending emails back and forth. So it has gotten better. But 
in order to sell, in order for your name to get out there, you have to, you know, put in that work into the administrative and we're, you know, social media managers, we're advertisers and photo editors, <laughs> graphic designers, you're kind of, you wear all of those hats. With regard to the social media and getting your brand out there, I mean, part of it is kind of establishing what your brand is, which I think is a challenge for a lot of people, same as trying to you know, establish what your style is, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, I think all of that comes with a little bit of time, but around the social media and just being out there in that space, how important is it, do you think, to be in more than one place? And what is important to you? You know, when we talk about Instagram and LinkedIn yes. and Twitter, and, you know, I guess we could include YouTube and social and um, Twitch and social media as well, but... Sure. What, what, what yeah. has... You know, obviously Twitch has probably had the biggest impact, but maybe if you can talk to those platforms yes. and what your kind of opinions are on them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of them are are important. Um, I would say your staple, you know, ones are Instagram, Twitter, at the very least, start there. So if you're new to this whole art business thing and being full time default Instagram and Twitter is a great place to start. Um, if you don't have maybe the space for live streaming or making videos that can come later. But I found I was just on Instagram at first and just kind of learning the hashtag system and post times and when to kind of, you know, they always talk about the algorithm um, and how to kind of navigate that. But as long as you are kind of putting your work out there, there's a chance for someone to find you and repost it or like on Twitter, you know, retweeting all of those things. And you never know where that's going to kind of end up and who's going to see it. So I always say, get your name, whatever you decide your artist name to be on all the platforms you can. And at least that way you've got them like cemented to your email. So no one else can take your handle mm -hmm. and then just go from there and see what, like I used to love Instagram um, and now I'm more on Twitter which I found interesting. There was like a shift where I was finding more engagement on Twitter um, and more engagement in the sense of just meaningful comments. Like, I really love this piece. Do you have prints? Or, you know, this looks awesome, Cassie. Something like that. Um, and less of that on Instagram. So I kind of started shifting my time and that will happen naturally. You'll find a platform that you love. There's DeviantArt as well as kind of resurging um, back into the art community. So I always say you'll you'll find where you are most comfortable. It's just kind of going to take you some time to do all of them, if that makes sense, and a lot of time. <laughs> That's helpful. I think the other thing that freaks people out a bit, because I've had it happen to me as well, is the spammers out there that are, you know, oh, my, yes. I, I love your artwork. Uh, I'd like to buy it for my wife. Do you take checks? What's, oh, yes. what's your process for taking on new work? <laughs> is there a process that helps to filter out some of this? That's a really good point. And I'm it, speaking of Instagram, I see that a lot on there, even like DM us for a feature and et cetera, mm -hmm. you know? So for me, I try to give every message, comment, email, the benefit of the doubt. So I have like a generic sort of email that I'll send back of, you know, what are you looking for? You know, I only take PayPal, for example, or I only do this. So you're kind of right away, people who are wanting to send you a check, you're kind of weeding that out you know, right from the start to say, hey, I don't, you know, work like that. Or 
Um, I take a deposit. If you if you tell people you take a deposit that's non-refundable, a lot of times people will either just back out and say, oh, no, never mind. You know, they have to kind of put up money first. So I found that to be really helpful for me um, because we've all heard of artists getting ghosted um, for payment and, you know, you finish a piece and they don't get paid. So by doing that, it kind of automatically kind of filters the people who are really serious and the people who are just kind of, you know, I call it window shopping, which is totally cool. Or the worst case, they're trying to scam you out of your art and your money, essentially. Yeah, I had, I, I decided to take one of these conversations along a little bit to see where it was going to go. And it was somebody looking for a piece for his wife and, uh, oh, yes. and uh, he wanted to pay with check. And I, I think the scam is that they, they give you more than you ask for and then they ask for the difference back because they made a mistake. So let's say they, they're going to pay you a thousand oh. and they, they give you three thousand and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Can you wire me the money back? And then by the time you go through that, they cancel the check. So now you're out the difference. Oh, shoot. Um, okay. But what I found weird was this person, whoever this was, I don't know, um, was like, you know, let me know. I don't need a chip. I'm just going to have my driver come by and pick it up. And it's like, I'm in freaking Canada. <laughs> like, what, yeah. what do you mean your driver? Where are you? <laughs> you haven't even asked me what city yes. I'm in. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Where you're like, I don't do local pickup. Right. Thanks, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And there's so, like, there's so many different scams and things out there that if it sounds too good to be true, mm -hmm. usually my default, it usually is. Mm -hmm. And that goes with anything. So I always say just, you know, oh, um, thinking of this, having a contract also um, for the business side, but also scammer side of things, sending a contract to say, here's my terms of service, sign this. Most of them don't want to put up their name, you know, say yes, of course. They just don't want to bother. So kind of having those kind of steps, I find helpful too. So a contract. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good point. <laughs> Maybe they wouldn't have tried to drive over and pick up the right. painting. <laughs> I just, I thought that was insane. You haven't even asked me what city i'm in and i could be in uh you know very northern part Wherever. of ontario or yeah it's <laughs> they may have a driver they, they may have a driver. okay <laughs> that's right <laughs> on the kind of the twitch youtube component i want to ask you a bit more about that because i think if and you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think the easiest way if somebody wants to do some kind of live draws with people instagram is probably the easiest because you can just point your phone at what you're doing but if someone is moving yes. into like youtube and twitch is there kind of a default setup? Because you talked about that a little bit earlier about maybe you don't have the room for it or whatever the case. What would your comment be about? What's What do you need? Like, do you need a big switcher and multiple screens and LED lights? Like, what would your feeling be on that? Yes. My default um, is to basically have a webcam and you can buy a boom arm off of Amazon. And I think my initial setup was maybe $100. And so the, the vast majority of that cost was to the camera, of course, but I basically have, I still have it actually right in front of me, uh, a boom arm, you, you attach it to your desk and you put your camera on there. Um, it screws on. And then you have this kind of swivel base that you can, you know, raise and lower depending on the size of the piece. And beyond that, really just a computer. So a laptop, I've seen streamers use a, a laptop, a desktop, they download the software called OBS 
And aside from that, they'll use either headphones and a microphone so they can talk with their viewers. Um, I've actually seen streamers who type. So if they didn't want to invest in a microphone, they would just talk to their viewers by using a chat. So I always say less is more, especially if you don't know whether or not you're going to like it. It's an investment, and I would hate for someone to spend thousands of dollars on equipment to turn around and go, oh, well, you know what, I've seen it happen where I don't like being in front of camera, or I don't like being, what I what I say, on. I don't like being on and putting on a show and content. I just want to do art by myself. So I always say, start there, maybe $100, and see if it's for you, and the double monitors come later and the stream decks and all these interesting little gadgets can come later. <laughs> On the audio bit, what are you using for audio when you do your... I'm using the HyperX Quadcast microphone. When you're doing... I haven't looked at your Twitch streams, uh, but I have looked at your YouTube. Are you in frame? Yes, yes. So on my live streams, I would say 95% of the time they can see me. Okay. So you would have two cameras, yes. you would have Correct. two webcams even. Yes, yeah, I actually use the same webcam. Okay. So I just have the same. It's a Logitech Brio. Okay. And uh, so it can do 4K. It is a more expensive model. But in the beginning, I used the C920. And that was like a basic standard webcam. And I just have the boom arm and then my little um, monitor one that sees me. And uh, my mic is on a boom arm as well. So I can kind of move it out of the way depending on, you know, the size of the painting or what I'm doing that day. And are you doing the paintings on a desk or at an easel? A desk. Okay. Yes. Okay, so yeah. So they're just um, flat. Okay. Yes. <laughs> just top down view. Um, very similar to my YouTube videos. And um, I used to have a little riser, but I got rid of that and just paint right on my desk now. Does it look different to you when you're doing it on Twitch versus doing it for yourself? Is the setup different beyond the AV? Um, yeah, the setup is the same. Um, so across my YouTube and Twitch, those are all kind of just universal. In terms of the quality of my art, I would say I get a little bit more focus for my YouTube, whereas Twitch is a lot of multitasking. So I'm lose my place sometimes or you know I'm reading chat and okay where was I so in terms of speed and sometimes quality I guess it would it would vary <laughs> and so I heard you mentioned OBS uh, which is free software for yes. broadcasting so you can within OBS you can have three or four or multiple you could have still image you could have three or four videos and you compile it as you would like a tv station and then you send that yes. compiled thing to um to Twitch or to YouTube or whatever. Yes. Have you tried other options like things like Streamlabs or is, is OBS what it like? Is that been solid for you for the last few years? Yes. OBS has is for me the industry standard. I feel like most streamers use just the OBS themselves. Um, but over the years, there's been uh, Streamlabs OBS, which was their kind of own version um, of it that kind of had their let's say when you're streaming, someone donates to you, you get a little alert that pops up and says, you know, so-and-so's donated $5. They've kind of integrated their alerts to their own streaming software. And you can download that and kind of get two birds with one stone, if you will. Um, or you can have all the separate units like OBS and Stream Elements, which is another company, and kind of combine them all. There's a lot, I know it's so confusing, but there's a lot of great um, videos and references out there to help you do that if you're feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> That's cool. If you're looking at the donations, and this is leading somewhere, if you're looking at the donations with Twitch, 
that's possible for, for example, Canadians to do, and you get a percentage of that, I guess, after processing yes. or whatever the case, uh, which yeah. is, I think is different than things like, I don't know if you ventured into TikTok, but I've seen Canadian creators talking about TikTok, like it's hard to monetize there because they don't have kind of a creative TikTok or something. Correct. I think it's their, um, oh goodness, their partnership fund or something. It's right. It's got a, a unique name. And I feel like the vast majority is for the US. So us in Canada, we have a harder time, I guess, being accepted into that program or I'm not sure the inner workings of it, but yes. Okay. So if you, if you did pursue the Twitch route and you wanted, you know, to solicit people for donations and things like that, that does work for Canadian artists as well as yes. American. Oh, yeah. yes. Correct. Yeah. Anywhere. Global. Doesn't matter where you are. Um, now, there are some exceptions where they won't allow you to do the, uh, it's called the affiliate program. Mm -hmm. And so I know there was a lady, um, she wasn't eligible for it for whatever reason, um, the country that she lived in. But for the vast majority, um, they have the affiliate program, which allows you to um, actually have members. So you can have members. Uh, there's a thing called bits and bits basically is one penny one u.s cent and you can cheer that's what they call it however many so you can get 500 bits you know 10,000 bits and viewers will buy these bit packages to share amongst all their favorite streamers so um you can have little kind of like hype moments like yeah you finished a painting here's 100 bits you know which is a dollar um so that's kind of neat yeah it's really cute and fun um and they love it you can see you can get little things on your screen that like drop the bits into a cup okay and the bigger the cheer, so we had someone do 10,000, the bigger the cheer, the cup like exploded and all the other little smaller bits came out and they thought it was a, a hoot. So oh, that's fun. <laughs> there's things like that. Yeah, it's really cute. It's fun. You know, with all of this stuff, it's about an audience, right? So whether you're on YouTube, yes. whether you're on Instagram, it really is more meaningful and, and more impactful when you have an audience. How would you recommend somebody who's moving into Twitch building up that audience? Is it just streaming on a regular schedule a lot or is there anything else you can do outside of the platform yes consistency is huge um of being on and present um i always when people would ask me i kind of equate it to this you're used to watching the walking dead every sunday at eight o'clock you know back when it was in its prime but whatever <laughs> you're used to watching it all the time and then all of a sudden the walking dead on this sunday is not on and you're sitting there waiting and you're like, where to go? It's the same thing about streaming. People look at you like content to digest. Basically, they want a show. They want to chat with you, hang out. And if you're not there, there's a million other streamers that they can go to watch instead. So being consistent on regularly, I always say it doesn't have to be eight hours a session. Like that is a lot. It's it's exhausting work. So if you can manage two, three hours to start, whether you have a camera that can see you or it's just your hands doing artwork, some people are camera shy. As long as you show up and you're on, you'll start to notice these regular viewers saying, oh, Cassie's on, you know, I'm going to drop by and say hi and and hang out. So consistency for sure is, is the biggest. And being involved in social media, you're going live tweets or your stories on Instagram. Hey, I'm going live over on twitch.tv slash whatever. Come check it out. Here's the link. Kind of integrating all of those together starts bringing in the people that you've grown on Instagram or Twitter to your Twitch and vice versa. It's like a big old cycle. Okay. And if somebody's, 
I mean, I, I kind of talked about this earlier, but do you think Twitch is critical to a good creative business? I think that it can add an income stream or an avenue for business that a lot of artists don't realize is there. And partially, if I'm being honest, because Twitch doesn't advertise creative. Um, I've said this in the very beginning. They're very focused on gaming. Um, so that's totally cool. I respect it. Um, I wish they would do a little bit more in terms of the creative community. But I, I don't think it's a necessity. But I think if you're looking for another additional income stream and eyes on your work, it could be a really good opportunity. Yeah. And to that point about income streams, you know, you've got Twitch. You're selling originals, you're doing yes. commissions, you're doing prints. Is there anything else you can talk about with regard to income streams? I don't want to, you know, we don't want to get into the numbers, but it seems this is sure. quite common with artists as they're looking at Kindle print, uh, direct to print and all this kind of stuff. So maybe if you can talk about that a little bit and how important it is. Sure. Yes. Having multiple avenues for income is is so important. And I think that's how most artists can afford to continue doing what they're doing is having little bits of income here and there to add up to what I say is like one salary that you would get working outside of your home. And so, for example, I mean, I have Twitch, like you said, my paintings, prints, um, working with companies as well. Um, now that I'm getting more into YouTube, the affiliate marketing, um, which a lot of people don't realize is out there that can bring in extra revenue, whether it's $5 or $100 that's in your pocket that you didn't have. So, you know, working with, for example, there's a company called Share a Sale, where you can partner up with these companies, have them in your description links or panel on your website. Someone purchases, let's say, art supplies through your link, you know, you get a cut. All of those things um, add up and are, are really quite helpful. Amazon has the Amazon Associates program, which is their affiliate marketing. So that's huge. And then, of course, you know, eventually if you hit the brand, you know, sponsorship uh, deals with companies, you know, Chartpack, Grumbacker, uh, Fredericks, I know sponsors uh, Lisa Lockery on YouTube for all of her canvas. So they might not necessarily pay you monetary, but they could provide products then in turn you share with your viewers or community. Right. So there's so I could go on forever, but there's so much to say about income streams and so important. Is there something you haven't tried yet that you want to try creatively? Oh, that's a very good question. In general, or like mediums or just kind of anything. Mediums, one of those things you keep putting on the back and you're thinking maybe when I, maybe in five years or maybe at this point in time, but uh, there's something that, you know, I just want to try that one thing. Yes, I would really love to do, and, and this might be kind of a lame answer, but I would really love to do a really big painting. I work mostly pretty small. So talking about like Robert Beeman earlier, this huge, huge painting. And I, I would love to be able to do one that's like on an easel or even a mural. I've always wanted to do a mural. Maybe one day if I own my own home, then I would love to have like in my studio, just kind of chip away at this wall of, of art. And that's kind of completely custom to me, I think would be really cool. So that's on my list. But yes, up until now, I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> a lot of work, a lot of time. <laughs> But hopefully, maybe one day. <laughs> I've got a I've got a garden shed that I'm now eyeing for a mural because I'm thinking I. I was gonna say, what about you? <laughs> What's on your list? <laughs> well, I, I think the mural on the shed would be the most interesting thing. I mean, I'd like to try oil at some point. 
I'm I'm afraid yes. to like it. I think because I'm just not ready for it. Because I I, I, <laughs> I will live vicariously through you. <laughs> so keep me updated. Yeah, I just kind of want to do more of what I've been doing. I, I mean, I did some I did yeah. some work with mushroom ink last year, and um, okay, uh, which I extracted from mushrooms on my lot. So I'm going to do another batch this year, and so I'm going to do I think more of That's that. Amazing. Yeah. Sure. So, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't even know you could do that, honestly. <laughs> it's like, that's amazing. Yeah, it is, uh, uh, it's, it's fairly easy to do and it's almost like watercolor. It's, it's basically like watercolor. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you just keep layering it to get the darks. I, when I thought you were talking about a company, nope. I'm like, are they new? Like, <laughs> <Right. laughs> that is cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can, uh, awesome. I can send you some details about that after the show, but I've, please I've, do. I've yes. talked about it a lot on the podcast and, um, I think I've got still in my Instagram, I think I've got a, a video somewhere about how I extracted it and how I, it's, it's not hard, but it's usually like, I think it was August, September is when these specific types of mushrooms come out. And when they deliquesce, sure. they uh, they create this black ink. On the point of YouTube and Twitch, you know, you're really teaching with all of this, right? Yes. And I'm looking at your yes. YouTube videos and, I, you know, I know what's involved in doing a podcast and I can look at, I can anticipate what's involved in doing a YouTube. Uh, normally what I see is that you're, you've got a time lapse of your work and then you're doing a, a narration on top of that. Yeah. How, I mean, obviously you like it because you're doing it, but maybe you can speak to that. But I think... When I look at that, I'm wondering, how much are you learning from watching yourself again? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the great point. And I didn't realize that I was doing that or that was happening until I started where I was like, wow, I actually, you know, I picked up on things that I could have done either differently or a new technique that I'm like, I need to apply that to other paintings. That was really cool. <laughs> so it's, I love it. Um, I know it was kind of like a two-parter question. <laughs> But I love it. Um, it's a lot of work. I'm sure you know with the podcast how much time goes into editing, your kind of background work, um, everything that people don't see. So you, learning Premiere, I had no idea how to edit videos. So I picked up Adobe Premiere and went, what am I looking at? <laughs> like, how do I do this? You know, chopping everything and recording your audio and it was something that I've always had a love for education. If I wasn't an artist, I always say I would have been a teacher. I just love people. I love the thirst for knowledge and learning. And so being able to combine both, here's my painting that I did, but I'm going to show you how I did it and little tips and tricks. That's where my joy is, is seeing a comment of, I learned how to glaze with acrylics today. Thank you so much, Cassie. Like that makes it all worth it. The hours and hours of editing <laughs> makes it all worth it when someone, you know, responds that way to this video. So let's, let's assume this COVID thing didn't happen, isn't happening. Uh, yes. <laughs> what about in-person teaching? Is that something for you? So I actually, um, when I was 26, um, I became a professor of illustration of uh, art in a college setting. Um, and so they had asked me to come teach. And um, I ended up teaching about three to four classes um, a semester of different illustrations. We were working a lot with pen and ink, um, doing pencil work and et cetera. Very um, sort of introductory level stuff to this program. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And I, I really, of course, this was during 
COVID. So it was like online Zoom at first and then transitioned to being on campus. And um, it was a lot of fun and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So yes, I I love teaching. <laughs> That's all I could say is like, I love teaching. It's been wonderful. And um, yeah, it's such an experience. Are you going to do more? Is this teaching core to who you are as an artist? I love, I've learned now having both doing online YouTube versus like a sort of art institution, if you will. I love the freedom that I have on YouTube and teaching in my own way. I found myself loving not necessarily having a set curriculum. And so I think moving forward, I would love to expand on what I'm doing on my own. And if the opportunity presented itself down the road that I could teach again um, in a class setting physically... I would consider it, but I'm really, really loving the online, you know, class type um, stuff. I actually just paired up with Etcher, which was one of my business meetings this week. Um, and Etcher is an Australian company that offers um, lessons. They do a lot actually in watercolor and gouache. Mm-hmm. And um, so I actually just paired up with them to start doing lessons for their platform as well in acrylic. So it's kind of bringing those two aspects together and having the best of both worlds. So it was really long-winded. I'm sorry, but I get so passionate. <laughs> no, I I love uh I love Etcher and their and their sketchbooks. I've got I mean you could probably see some over my shoulder. You do. <laughs> yes. I was going to ask I'm like they look very familiar to me. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that you've got a good experience yeah, with them. Yeah, they're uh, the hot press sketchbooks are fantastic because I can do watercolor, uh, colored pencil, ink, uh, graphite all in yes. the same book. And so I love, I love it for yes. that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. That makes me happy. That's yeah, great. I think it's a great company to, to, to partner with. So I'm, I'm so happy you did that. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something that you wish that you know now that you wish you knew before you started this journey as a creative? Oh my goodness. And maybe more so when you, maybe even let's go back to before you started the graphic design program. Is there something that, that you wish you could tell Cassie of the past? That's a very good question. Something that I would tell myself, I would say the first thing that came to mind is just trust your gut. The decisions that you make, you're making for a reason. It's very easy to listen to all the opinions, whether it's online, we talked about social media, family, friends, whatever it may be, to kind of give you their vision and you kind of lose sight of your own. So I always would say, trust your gut. You have a purpose. You feel it. Now just go for it. And I would rather fail um, and know that I tried and I did my best than regret it, you know, not doing it. So that's what I would say, because a lot of times I would see opportunities and go, well, that would be, you know, a good income stream, right? Just to make the money. But was that really making you happy and like fulfilling that purpose? That, that makes sense. I hopefully. like that answer. No, I like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's you know, because being a creative is a really, I mean, it is a, is it's a highly emotional, personal experience. Um, sometimes you feel like you're the only person in the world doing it. As yes, and it's it's hard. <laughs> it's hard finding community where you can identify with them because you have people that have formal degrees. You have those that do not. Those that work in different mediums. Those that have been doing it for. 20 years and those that have been doing it for one year and having interviewed 
all kinds of people from Robert Bateman to yourself, everybody has lessons yes. that we could all benefit from. And it Absolutely. is, it's tough. It is tough being an artist. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. And that's, it's so rewarding, but can be very taxing. And that's why I always say, like, if people ask me, take breaks. We talk about art block a lot in the art community about having no energy to create or I don't know what I want to draw or there's nothing, you know, coming to me. And I think that's where those breaks are very important and switching things up. And, you know, like you said, do plain air outside, something you've never done before, or watch a, a documentary and kind of just revitalize that uh, creativity. That's cool. I, well, I want to get into the homework. But I have uh, another question yes. I'll ask you, and then we'll dive right into the homework, and then we'll talk about where people can find sure. you online. So the question is, do you prefer asking why or how? Oh, Mike, you're, you're hitting me with some good <laughs> questions today. <laughs> My first instinct is how. I am always saying how. How did they do that? How is that possible? You know, that's those are things that I'm, you know, you see somebody's like, I'm relating this back to art. You see somebody's piece on Instagram. I'm like, how? My brain is always craving to do that as well and learn and add it to my toolkit. So I would say how would be my answer. What about you? <laughs> I'm going to turn it back to you. <laughs> uh, I choose not to answer. Um, I, I think. Um, <laughs> Fair. No, I, I think I, I think it's probably the how as well. Yeah, because I, I think the why it depends. I guess it depends for me. I, I think if it's around art, it's the how, uh, because yes. I know why we create. I think if it was in a different context, where I'm looking at someone else's decision or looking at uh, some challenging areas in the world, including south of us, uh, my question would be why. So, uh, but I was thinking about it from a creative perspective. I'm. I think we both yes. agree on the. How? Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yes. Like, oh, how is that possible? Well, it's, you know, I look at your work and I saw the lines on the lions and it's like, how? <laughs> and, and that's what really this podcast is about, right? It's, 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 yeah. it's about how. And I think we can help people discover their why. But uh, yeah. for sure, that's, that's a, a solo yeah. thing you know, why you create and, you know, I don't need to know, you know, the purpose of why you do it. If you love it and there's a reason for you to do it, then mm -hmm. that's, that's totally cool by mm -hmm. me. Go for yeah. it. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so I always get to this point of, you know, giving somebody a little something to take away, something to try. And yes. uh, these are always so much fun. I, I hear from listeners about them taking these on and having their experience with it. So I'm wondering for the listener, what would you suggest as a bit of homework that they could do to help kind of move their creative game forward? Sure. Yeah. My, and I'm trying to do this more myself, would be like live drawing. And that can be whether, you know, and I'm going to relate it back to wildlife art, you know, going to the zoo, if you have one available to you to sit in front and watch, you know, their movement and do rough organic sketches in your sketchbook or if you don't have that available, there are some really great documentaries on Netflix, YouTube as well. You can get clips of, you know, for example, a lion walking or a pride of lions and really try in your sketchbook to just focus on the movement. So not getting caught up in making a perfect sketch that we would post to Instagram, but something for you that, you know, you're really 
getting the core of the information and putting it down onto your sketchbook. So action lines and gesture and basically the same thing that someone might do for figure drawing, a 30 second gesture we can do with animals, wildlife, you know, uh, nature, etc. So I think that would be kind of cool. And let me know if you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> That's awesome. And we'll talk about where to how people can find you and, and where they could tag you in this. But I, I'm great with these segues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that I'm going to try this. I haven't watched the dinosaur series on Apple TV yet, but I think I'm going to have my even my iPad available and just be trying some stuff as I'm yeah. watching that. Yeah, please do. And the great thing about the iPad is you can get that uh, recording, you know, right. your time lapse right. recording built in. So you can either rewatch it to see maybe where you're spending too much time and say, OK, I need to shorten that up. I got a little I call it noodling when you noodle too long in a piece um, or post it. And, and have people see it as well, your process. That's a so good point. I look forward to seeing it, Mike. <laughs> now, we, well, we both have to work on reflections and eyes, and then I've got to work on these dinosaurs. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, Cassie, where can people find you? You talked about Twitter, but maybe you can go through and, and tell people where you are where you are online and where you're predominantly online. Sure, yeah. So we'll start, my website basically has all of the links to my socials and etc. So that would be CassieDraws.com. And then my favorite is Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, if you're not, get on Twitter (laughs) because it's fantastic. Uh, There's a huge art community there. So um, that's just at CassieDraws. And Instagram is at CassieDraws.art. So I didn't get the at CassieDraws handle. And I said, get all of your handles (laughs) when you're starting this. And that's why. So there's actually, it's kind of cute. Uh, there's a 11 year old I'm pretty sure that has the at Cassie draws handle uh, and just pencil they seem like they're just going through school doing projects and stuff so I didn't want to take it from them but that's my uh, Instagram and on YouTube and Twitch is at Cassie draws as well so Instagram's a little outlier it's the only one that's different that's, that's fantastic <laughs> uh, yeah I'm the same way I don't have a, my 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 Twitter and my Instagram don't match, but you know, people get to know you where you are. Yeah. So it's okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Quick Google and it'll be yeah. all right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cassie. I really appreciate this. Uh, this has been so much fun. I feel inspired to create and to explore and to do some gesture work. And I feel even more motivated now to try some more acrylics. So uh, yes. I just, I, I, thank you for your time. I thank you for creating all your work and all the work that you're doing and taking these pieces and creating the YouTube videos and spending the time with Twitch and just helping to to educate and inspire a whole group of artists. Thank you so much on behalf of, of everyone. Oh, thank you so much. And again, I'm so honored to be here. And I had so much fun. Um, You're fantastic as well. Wonderful host. So thank Thank you you. so much. And um, I hope everyone enjoyed listening. And I just look forward to seeing what each and every one of you make and you as well, Mike. Uh, I think your work is fantastic. So I'm just glad to be here. And I hope everyone had fun. Thanks so much. Take care of yourself, Cassie. You as well. Thank you so much. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye now. Show notes, including links to everything Cassie and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 80. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. 
Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. Thank you.